of Her Story, a podcast celebrating women who have or are currently making their mark on our society. Today I have with me an incredible guest. She is the first woman hired as a full-time hitting coach by a major league organization. I am, of course, talking about Rachel Balkovic of the New York Yankees. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. Thank you for having me and uh, kind of filling up my days here is that they're getting pretty slow with COVID. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. How has that affected the season so far? I mean, it's obviously been postponed. There is. It's stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the public knows just about as much as I do, which is the season is on hold indefinitely at the moment and um, just trying to sort through what it's going to look like going forward. And um, if we'll have a season, I think that's also in the conversation publicly, you know, just, and, and by the way, that's speculation. It's just like people are speculating that the season will be canceled and even football is going to be canceled and who knows uh, what's going on. I think it's, I think it's a tumultuous time for just about everyone right now. So Mm -hmm. um, just try to, we just try to counter blessings, you know, and, most of the players that I talk to are pretty upbeat and they're just saying they're grateful that their family is safe and healthy. And, you know, sports is important. It's important for the economy. I don't want to take (laughs) that, but also uh, there's a bigger picture here. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you started your career, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in coaching as a, temporary strength and conditioning coach in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. How did that come about? Like what made you want to get into to coaching? Well, I started my career in collegiate strength and conditioning. And mm. so I was, a, I was a collegiate athlete. I was a softball player. Um, and I started out my career doing, I did like a short internship for Arizona state. And then I did a two year long graduate assistantship for LSU and Baton Rouge. Mm. And those were two really notable programs. They both have extremely good baseball and softball programs as well. And during that time, um, I never used to tell this story. I think it's important to tell now, but I, I was actually dating a baseball player. So I played softball in college and started dating a guy who was playing at the same college we dated for two years and then he was drafted and we ended up dating five years in total. And so he played in the minor league system for the Dodgers. And while I was like building my career in strength and conditioning and in the college ranks and like, you know, I was, I was at a very high, I was at LSU, you know, go Tigers. I was at like a yeah. really good <laughs> athletic school, not just like a, any run of the mill place, but very, very good athletic school. And I was seeing it done very well at a very high level with super high expectations and winning is everything and intensity is high. And I was also dating my, my boyfriend at the time who was a minor league baseball player. And, you know, in my free time or my week, weekends, I would go visit him and just see like the entire, the, the um, entirely different world mm. from college athletics and just see like the journey he was on and they're moving up and down all the time. They play anywhere from 130 to 150 to maybe more games if they're playing off-season baseball. So just this like treacherous journey that he was on and then learning about other players' journeys and the Latin American players that are involved and what that means and where they come from. And I was just privy to this like whole underworld of, of professional baseball. And I had no idea, like most people, they don't know, like this extensive minor league system and the long, arduous journeys that most minor leaguers go on. 
So I was just fascinated by the onion that is minor league baseball as I learned more about it. And I just, I was like, that's, that's what I want to do long-term my career path. So I already had this like strength and conditioning, um, foundation. I'll say like as a young person, I had a very good foundation as a young person getting into the field. And then I decided to get in professional baseball. And, uh, I, I just, I was so naive to the fact that there were no women. I like, I just didn't even think about it because in collegiate athletics, there's plenty of women, there's female athletes, there's female coaches, female athletic trainers, female strength coaches. It's, it's not uncommon. And so I just was like totally naive, started looking for jobs and it was just maybe my first year of my master's degree. And I'll never forget. I started looking for jobs. There's like an online forum for strength and conditioning jobs in professional baseball. And there were zero names of any women, like no articles written by women, no job job postings. The response email was to a man. Like there was no trace of women. And I just was like, what? I walked into my boss's office who was a woman, ironically. And I said, Mel, Melissa, like I said, Mel, do you, do you know that there are no women strength coaches in professional baseball? And she just looked at me like, duh. She was like, (laughs) yeah. She was like, I don't think there's any in all of, professional sports period and I just it like hit me in the face I was like what I was just so naive I had no idea because I had had such great support as I was a college athlete I was a woman and an athlete I just saw myself as someone who was capable then I was coaching in college and I just didn't think it would be that big a deal but (laughs) it sure was so long story short, the Cardinals ended up calling LSU and asking for a recommendation for an intern. They were kind of like seeking out interns. And they said, well, uh, well, we have someone who's really interested in a job and, and they work with baseball and softball here. And, you know, they were a catcher in college. Oh, and by the way, she's a she. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I, I don't use the word luck a lot, but I look back and I'm just like, God, I was so lucky that the timing was right. The people were right with the Cardinals that they mm-hmm. took, a, took a chance and, and gave me an opportunity as an intern. Um, so I did an internship with them short term. And another very long story short, I uh, was rehired by them full time as their strength and conditioning coordinator in 2014, mm-hmm. um, which was the first ever full time uh female strength and conditioning coach in professional sports. Definitely the first time like coordinator. Cause I was, you know, I, I think people maybe underestimate, like I went from being an intern to overseeing 10 male coaches and 250 athletes traveling all over the country to all of their minor league affiliates and assisting the major league strength coach with whatever he needed for programming or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like it was a huge responsibility. The Cardinals graciously gave me that opportunity and I mean, that was, I look back on that and just think like, I can't, I can't believe that happened. And the timing was right, not just for the Cardinals, you know, but society. Like, I think, yeah, I think I'm a product of like society changing and there were probably many women that were qualified before me and even maybe some women that applied before me and just the world wasn't ready for it. The organization mm-hmm. wasn't ready for it. So, um, yeah, that's when 2014, they offered me that position Um, And I was there for two more years and then with the Astros for three years as a strength coach before I kind of made the switch or try to make the switch to hitting. Yeah. So, so once you got with the, with the Astros, uh, I, I read that you taught yourself Spanish so that you could communicate with, with those players, little belt, 
a little better to be a more effective coach in that sense. That's some pretty great initiative, I'd say. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I think there's just like, I think there's, I don't know what it is. I wish I knew, but there's a difference between people who, who go into a situation and something's difficult and they just avoid, 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 and, and mm -hmm. just say, Oh, I'll get by. I don't need it. I don't need it. And, um, that was, I actually learned Spanish before I got the job with the Astros, which the Astros job was the Latin American strength and conditioning coordinator. Right. So I actually needed Spanish to get that job. <laughs> so I actually learned Spanish my first year as an intern with the Cardinals. Mm. Or I should say I learned enough Spanish my first <laughs> by the time I was done with my two years as a coordinator there, I had I was mm, close to fluent, I'm getting better every day type of thing. But uh I just knew it was day one. I had come straight from LSU. And I mean I like, you know, LSU is like super high intensity, just like the expectations are so high. You've got college athletes, right? They're at some level. I mean, they're not all diehard students, you know, but at some level they had to get into college and sit and maintain their grades. Right. And then I walked straight from there into working with the youngest players, some of the youngest players in the Cardinals organization who are mostly Latin American players coming from wildly different educational backgrounds, wildly different home lives, wildly different socioeconomic situation in the Dominican Republic. And so I like, that hit me like a ton of bricks in the face. I just wasn't ready for it. I went out to the first ever dynamic warm up, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And it just was a mess. And I had no control over the group and I, mm -hmm. I couldn't communicate. I, I just, I just did not, was not prepared, even though I knew what I was going into. I, I wasn't prepared for them to uh, be totally non-responsive and <laughs> act like they didn't understand what I was saying, even though they did. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I think they just think like, okay, well, here's another coach that doesn't speak Spanish and she's not even going to try. And, you know, and so the next day I had a sheet with me of everything written down that I need to say in Spanish. And yes, I was reading it off a sheet of paper, but I, I said everything in Spanish and I'll never forget. Like I, you know, just the looks on their faces, they were like, oh, great. Like, okay, not, you know, great. Like now we have to listen to her because she speaks our language, but really quickly they were very appreciative of it. It was a mm -hmm. huge bonding point. I would say the stupidest stuff in Spanish, totally wrong. And they're mm -hmm. laughing at me. They're correcting me. They're helping me. I'm helping them learn English. It just really, it provided like a vulnerability point that we could share, mm -hmm. which you got to think like everyone wants to, everyone wants to trust somebody that they can understand. And if I'm a white girl from Nebraska, how the hell am I going to relate to a Latin player from Dominican Republic? You know, yeah. like, how do I do that? And one thing, one way to do that is to put myself in the same struggle that they're doing, which is learning English. So we learned together and through any kind of struggle, if you're struggling together with somebody, it brings you closer. And I think that was a really huge bonding point. And it still is, you know, it still serves me to this day coming into the Yankees organization. I think obviously it's very uh, my differences are very obvious other coaches may be just as different as I am from other players but you can't tell until you start talking to them for me it's it's literally my entire <laughs> I'm a woman I'm different than you right that's that's like what they see and so day one I'm able to introduce myself in English and Spanish mm -hmm. and I just love surprising them you, you can just like see them smile or I'll crack a joke in Spanish and they start laughing and I I know in their minds they're like what like 
Yeah. Wait, how did that woman just like spew out a joke in Spanish? Like, what is it, you know? And so it, it immediately just becomes this point of bonding. And to answer your original questions, like, how did that come about? Why? I, you know what? I didn't teach myself Spanish. They taught me Spanish is what I like to say. I never did Rosetta Stone. I never even had a Spanish Tinguish dictionary. I never even had any of those resources. I just, I just asked them and I wasn't afraid to be, to sound stupid. And I just knew that it was, it, it enriches my ability to coach. So I just knew that that's something that I had to do. It's just like getting a degree, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I learned Spanish just like you learn math. It, it just is what it is. I needed yeah. it to be successful in my coaching career. Yeah. So speaking of degrees, after you left the Astros, you uh, went to the Netherlands to get a second degree, second yeah. master's. So your first was in kinesiology from LSU, correct? Yeah, my first degree was my undergraduate degree, and I, I think that first degree was like softball, <laughs> and then <laughs> it was actually exercise science, but I like to say that I, I went back to school just this past year, and it was like the first time I actually went to school, even though I always got good grades. Like I always, I graduated with honors for my undergraduate degree. My master's degree was sports administration from LSU, but I, my master's degree was um, being a strength coach at LSU. That's that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like did my homework on the side. So my second degree was sports administration. And then this last degree, I, I really was like, I, I want to learn this. And I went back and did a, a degree in biomechanics and statistics, which makes me sound really smart, but you'd be shocked at how horrible I am at both of those things still. <laughs> so, um, the degree was really like trifold. It was to, um, help me transition to a hitting coach. So I was able to be a kind of uh, apprentice hitting coach for the Netherlands national team. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And so that was an opportunity. I knew they had an excellent program there. I knew that the leading researcher in the world in eye tracking for hitters was also there. So that's what I did. I went there and studied under under him, was able to be in the hitting like realm, be in the cages with the guys and and girls for that matter, the, the softball team there. So I was able to kind of switch to hitting coach and spend less time in the weight room over there. And then um, the research I did was in at driveline baseball in Seattle, which if you're not in baseball, you don't know anything about. But if you're in baseball, it's an absolutely phenomenal facility. They are, you know, they're top notch. They're they're one of a kind in the entire world. So I was able to do my research there in eye tracking uh, for hitters and just like really diving into the visual piece with them. And um, that is ultimately, I think those couple things combined um, is what got me hired with the Yankees. With your background, would you say that your approach is a little different, a little more scientific, or is it still pretty similar? My approach is different in every way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm not going to say it's better or worse. It's just um, my own, I'm going to steal this from my own boss, Dylan Lawson, who hired me with the Yankees. But also I knew him from he was a hitting coach with the Astros. So uh, we had a pre-existing relationship and like he knew my work ethic. He knew my my demeanor, my coaching philosophy. And I also learned from him and the other hitting coaches there that Astros hitting philosophy. So I knew his philosophy inside and out. So on top of me getting all that research and stuff, he he it was a no brainer from him to hire me. But um, he says he says that I have the most diverse perspectives 
of any coach, you know, and that is like, not only, okay, I come from a strength and conditioning background. So I have a different lens that I'm looking at things through. And I'm just like, I watch the body differently, maybe, or, or, um, I watch a swing differently than maybe another hitting coach because I've coached the body for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like my resume is so diverse. I think I've, I think I've spent time in 10 different organizations um, which we didn't even talk. I like, we glazed over a lot. <laughs> like it, there's just too much. Like I've been in too many situations based off of the fact probably that I've had to, I've had to do that in some regards because I'm a woman and I, I had to do more and I had to do, um, things differently to get into the business and stay. Um, so I had to do that, but also because, and I, I love it. I don't, I don't shy away from it now. And I'm like, if I have another opportunity to, go somewhere else, I'll do it. Because if you spend time in 10 different organizations, you get to see how 10 different organizations do things Mm -hmm. and how 10 different staffs of coaches coach and how 10 different administrative, you know, operations go and strength and conditioning and hitting and pitching. You, I get like, I have such a diverse perspective because I've been so many places and there are drawbacks to that, right? I haven't spent 10 years somewhere where I can see a full program evolve over a decade. So someone else has that experience that I don't have. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, like being able to basically sample, and by the way, sample elite level organizations, like organizations like LSU, Arizona State, Driveline Baseball, St. Louis Cardinals, Houston Astros, like these are organizations that have been very successful either recently or over a very, very long period of time. So to just to understand organizational culture and what works and what doesn't when you're trying to bring groups of people together. So that's how I think my perspective is different. Although on paper, you would probably say, oh, wow, you have eye tracking research. That's different. I mean, I'm, that's literally different. That's very, <laughs> very tactical and, you know, a very clear thing that's different. But I don't even think that's my biggest weapon. You know, I think my the diversity of my background is what, makes me different when I hear people talk and I, and I think to myself, that person just hasn't been where I've been. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a cloud thing. It's, it's literally just like that person only has one perspective to reference where I have many and many elite level perspectives of other people. I'm not saying my own, I'm saying elite level perspectives of the organizations that I've been in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your resume does speak for itself. Uh, you've said before that being a woman in America's favorite pastime has been the biggest obstacle. Can you elaborate a little on that? Okay, you cut out just slightly. I, I said that the, being a woman in America's favorite pastime has been the biggest obstacle. Uh-huh. Um, is this a reference to me getting into baseball? Um, just in your struggle to actually be hired as a hitting coach, being taken seriously in that Um, perspective. It's been smooth. It's funny how this is all coming about because like, this is my seventh spring training. And so this time around is much smoother than when I first got in. And Mm -hmm. at least when I walk through the door, people, people are like, Oh, they could assume I've never done anything because I'm a girl, but as soon as they find out, like, okay, I've been in baseball for six years, but now it's a weird thing because I feel like people are throwing me a party like six years late. So like I already, you know, (laughs) 
it's been publicized differently this time around. And again, I think that's a product of society changing where when I was first hired by the Cardinals, I didn't even have a Instagram, you know, and like now it's like social media and people get their news about current events through social media. And so now it's, it's a big thing, but anyway, getting in the first time was the most difficult part. Um, relatively speaking, the internship I got right after I was at LSU with the Cardinals was relatively easy. Uh, I say relatively easy. And then I left that internship and of course it's an internship, right? So you're paid very little. And then at the end of the season, they were like, okay, see you later. Great job. Um, you know, in six months next season, we might have a spot for you. We might not, we'll let you know, but you did a great job. Thanks. So (laughs) at that time, I like long story short, I'm, I'm, just I've moved 15 times so bear with me so I I moved to Phoenix because I thought okay I'm going to go back to school and get a PhD in nutrition so I was going to start at ASU and I was starting just a couple of prerequisite classes and I thought oh well I'm here in Phoenix I'll I'll try to get another internship in baseball because for the listeners or for anyone who doesn't know there's 15 teams that are based out of Phoenix like their headquarters is there so they have operations year-round with some of their minor league players so there's 15 teams in Phoenix it was hiring time and I thought, Oh, I'll apply for these jobs. I applied for about eight to 10 jobs. And keep in mind at this point, I had a master's degree. I'd worked at LSU, Arizona state athletes performance. I had been a college uh, athlete at the division one level and I had worked for the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, and I had lived in the Dominican Republic, which is another story. So I had this great resume for a young woman and in strength and conditioning, wonderful resume for a low level internship position. I applied for 10 things, got, nothing like just no responses no email no no thanks for your resume and I was like wow in in my mind I thought wow I guess I just these positions are really competitive and I just got to work harder I was very naive so finally I get a call midway through spring training I had already picked up a waitressing job by that point to just pay my bills while I was taking these classes and I get a call and it's this guy and, and he's like hey uh somebody quit with our team. Do you want to, are you still interested in that position that you applied for? And I said, yeah. And so we went through the interview process. I sat down with him two times. Everything went great. He was like, you know what? You're our girl. We're going to, we're going to hire you. Um, Just give me a couple days to get the paperwork together and we'll get it going. So finally I never heard from him. I'm like, this is weird. Like I never heard from him. So like three weeks later, I finally get a phone call from him and he's like, Hey, I got, you know, this is a really awkward conversation, but I got to tell you, I'm really sorry. We're not going to hire you because you're a woman and and it's not my choice. It was the administration. He was very, he was apologizing. He was like, I just want to tell you the truth because I want you to know what you're up against. And I was like, I just was, I mean, the, the, any naivete was gone. Like like, I was like, okay, this is a real thing. And I just thanked him for being honest and, and, he was like, well, uh, it gets worse. And I thought, how could this possibly get worse? <laughs> and he was like, well, it took, me, it took me so long to get back to you because I literally called around to all of the other teams that I knew had posted jobs. And they all said the same thing, that they had received your resume and that they liked your resume, but there's no way they can hire a woman. Hmm. And I was like, okay, so it's not just one team. It's, you know, the 10 that I applied for. So the season passed by. I, I waitressed. I waited. I decided during that time that I didn't want to do a PhD, that I wanted to stay in coaching and pursue that, and uh, picked up another unpaid internship from Arizona State. So I, I worked for free at Arizona State two times. 
So they were nice enough to let me come back and intern again. So I would basically go like 5 a.m. I would go to ASU, work with their like baseball, softball, um, soccer. And then I would go to my waitressing job and waitress to pay the bills. And then the next offseason baseball came around and I was like, I just, I kicked it off and I was like, I'm not taking any chances. So I changed my name on my resume to Ray. So I was R-A-E, Balkovec. Mm-hmm. And I changed, you know, my email name. I changed my resume to make sure that it didn't say softball. It said I was a D- Division One catcher. Um, so I made everything gender neutral. And I, and I sent it off when the job started coming open. And I got in- immediate responses. And that was another eye open. I was like, whoa, like, okay, it's real. And it also just in a weird way makes you feel awful. But it makes made me feel good because I was like, oh, okay, my resume is good. I'm taking the right steps. I was the work that I was doing was paying off in a weird way, but I not a literal way, but I just knew that people were interested. So I was blown away. I got a call one day from a, a number I didn't know I answered it. And I said, hello. And they said, oh, uh, I'm looking for Ray. And I was like, uh, I was like, this is she like, just thinking like, oh my God, it worked. So (laughs) there's just this long, awkward silence, some ruffling of papers. And he was like, uh, sorry, just trying to make sure that uh, I got your name right. And I was like, no, you're just surprised it was a girl. (laughs) So, um, I, I just, I said to him, you know what, this isn't really a great time. Can we talk tomorrow? Well, I never heard from him, of course followed up with an email, never heard from him. And I just felt so horrible knowing that people were interested, but it only if I was a man. And I, that was pretty short lived, right? Like I just felt horrible lying and getting, you know, getting callbacks or whatever based on my agenda that wasn't me. So it was a pretty short lived alter ego, but another <laughs> kind of like, another kind of like, okay, bill of confidence where I was like, okay, I just, I know that my resume is really good. It's just going to take time. It's going to take one team that's prepared to do this. And the off season went on. I, it was getting pretty late. All the jobs I thought were filled. I mean, it was like a month from spring training. And finally I got a phone call from the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, the major league strength coach who I hadn't even met when I was an intern. I didn't even meet him. And I got a phone call from him and I just was thinking like, what does this guy want? Cause I didn't even apply for a job with them. I was like, what's this guy want? So I answered the phone and he was like, Hey, are you interested in a minor league coordinator position? Our coordinator moved on. Yeah. And he, he recommended you. And I had to pull the phone away and look at the caller ID to make sure no one was fucking with me. I was like, I was like, is this guy serious? I was having trouble getting a low level internship, you know, let alone a minor league coordinator position, which, which means that you're overseeing, 10 male coaches and 250 athletes. So it was a huge responsibility Mm -hmm. and nobody was even willing to hire me as an intern. And the Cardinals who had seen my work and liked me as an intern and trusted my demeanor around the players and knew that I was a professional were like, yeah, great. Like, let's do it. So they ended up hiring me in the, you know, 11th hour basically before the 2014 season, but I was fully prepared to sit out another year and wait until the next season at that point. Mm -hmm. Man, do you ever find yourself questioning your pursuit into being a coach? Do you ever question uh, 
am I doing the right things? Am I in the right place? Is this where I'm supposed to be? (laughs) All the time. (laughs) Every single day. Do you Uh, have some people that you turn to when you find yourself in those places? I do now. I do now. Um, But I will say that there was a time when I didn't have anyone. And even the people closest to me were saying, why are you doing this? You know, and, and my, my parents, my parents love me, but they're also very practical and no one wants to see their daughters and sons go through discrimination or whatever. And so it's like, my parents were like, Rach, are you sure you have to be in baseball? Cause I was getting all these um, people interested in me coming and coaching for, you know, collegiately. And so I just, I just had to stick. Sometimes I always say this. Sometimes the only person you have to listen to is yourself. And that is a really lonely place to be. And I think that's a lot of times why people don't make it through. Like you have this voice in your head that's telling you, no, I can do it. Or no, this is important. Or no, I need to do this for other people or whatever. You have this voice in your head. But if you listen to too many people around you, they're going to impose their own limiting beliefs onto you. So I do have people now where I can comfortably say, hey, I have doubts in myself. And I know they're, they're not going to be like, well, you should quit. Because anyone who says that to me now is out of their fucking mind. You know, like <laughs> now, now, yeah. it's, oh, now it's, oh, Rachel, you want to be the president? I'm sure you could do it, you know, because I've already had this resume of like conquering things and moving to Europe and giving up my career and giving up my life savings and making history again for the second time under the age of 35. And so anyone who looks at me now would say, oh, you can do anything. But there was a time when I was getting into baseball and I hadn't shown anyone that my ability, that there were plenty of people that were like, like I said, people who were very close to me, who I don't harbor any ill will towards, but just were like, are you sure, you know, do you think, and it wasn't ever about really me. It was about either them not believing that somebody would give me a chance or, or like I said earlier, them putting their own limiting beliefs about themselves onto me, which Mm -hmm. happened all the time. So yeah, there, there was a time when I had no one to talk to about my struggles. Now I do. I have plenty of mentors and people that, you know, will push me. So yeah. That's good. Um, where do you see, or where would you like to see your career in 20 years? Any thoughts? Or is that projected way too far in the future? Oh, well, 20 years, I will probably be ending my career in sports, just about to move to New Zealand and become a sheep farmer. <laughs> fair, fair. That sounds like a pretty ideal situation. Yeah, I think that Um, I'll never retire. I'll die working, number one. But number two is, I think that I have so much left to do in sports for everyone. You know, I I want to um, be a catalyst for change for professional baseball. I want to be a catalyst for change for women. I want to be, I want to be excellent at my job. So I have, you know, it's like I just started being a hitting coach. Like I have plenty to learn just right here before I go anywhere else. So the landscape of my future is pretty unknown, but I will say that I want to be in a position where I can affect, um, I, I can affect change at a grand scale. And that could be a general manager. It could be a, 
president of baseball operations. It could be in the commissioner's office for major league baseball. It could be, you know, so it's, I'm definitely a big picture person. I'm definitely a person who values like my passion is organizational culture. And I'm like the books, people are like, Oh, what articles are you reading in this downtime for COVID? Are you reading biomechanics and science? And I'm reading about Nelson Mandela and Malala and I'm reading, you know, I'm reading things about leaders of change at a global level. And those are the books that really interest me and really like fascinate me and learning about their leadership skills and what they went through and all these things. And so that's really what I'm passionate about right now. Baseball is the vehicle. That's the outlet. Hitting is the outlet. Um, but I don't really see myself as a hitting coach. I don't see myself as a strength coach. I just see myself as a coach, as a leader, as a person who can, who can um, get groups of people to come together on certain items and, and achieve a common goal. And that's, that could be anything in the future. So mm-hmm. I'll leave it ended. <laughs> Did you have a female yeah. sports? But definitely I'm going to be a sheep farmer in New Zealand someday. So <laughs> that's the only thing I know for sure. Okay. Someday. So, yeah. <laughs> Did you have a female sports icon that you looked up to as, as a kid? Yes, I did. And I, I think that we all did. Um, even if we're not aware of it, because when I was growing up, mind you, by the way, like I was, I'm 32. So it was just women's sports was just starting to get televised. And by the time I was in high school, I could watch college women's sports on TV, but like it wasn't on TV when I was young Mm-mm. or it was on like ESPN seven, like, you know, like you had to try hard to find women's sports. And so it was like just the beginning. And what, what happened was the 1999 women's world cup soccer was on TV and I I was 12 when it happened. Um, and it was in the United States and it was, so, I mean, it was in the Rose bowl. And so I think, um, that was my first idea of like female athletes and I watched it live and I knew who Mia Hamm was and Brandy Chastain who ripped her shirt off, who I just interviewed on a podcast, by the way, which was like my dream come true. So, um, so like, yeah, I did have, but I didn't, I think now people will be like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And people will be like, Oh, I want to be Alex Morgan. Like little girls can say, I want to be these, I want to be, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like another extremely popular female athlete at the moment that like people, Megan Rapino, And like, you know, I think that, there's a lot more visibility surrounding women in sport where at the time, if you had said, who do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know if I would have said Mia Hamm because it wasn't like a thing mm-hmm. uh, until I got to high school and I was playing competitive softball and women were on TV and like Kat Osterman, who's a, she was a pitcher at Texas and she's still pitching now for team USA. Megan Willis was a catcher at Texas. So I was able to kind of at that stage in my life, see those women, um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. I think there's a lot more opportunity for that now just because the visibility surrounding women in sport is a lot different now. How do you feel about the fact that you might be one of those people for um, a girl who's in, in softball right now coming up and seeing that she could be a coach just like you? How, how does that feel? I just like got a little, like a little chills. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, um, I do know actually, I'm very, very, uh, aware of that. And I, 
I take it seriously. I know the responsibility and I, I'm glad to have it. I'm glad it's me because I've been through a lot and I am strong enough to be the person for that. And I, I know how to handle myself. I know that just because I signed the paper with the Yankees doesn't mean that everyone wants me here. It doesn't mean that all clubs will hire women. It doesn't mean that people in the public like it. And so there's still a lot of work to do. And if anyone follows me on social media, they would know, like I only really use one hashtag cause it's just, I'm just, it just is too much work to use 10, but, 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 and also just like my slogan or my, my hashtag that I use always is I'm not done yet. And it means that, you know, I'm not done yet personally. I'm constantly growing and evolving and changing, but I also have work to do for other people. And I don't feel like my work is going to be done until there's equality and equality is a subjective term. So I have a lot of work to do. So I think, um, how do I feel? That's awesome. That is the highest honor. It's the highest honor. And for me to not really for me to not get on this podcast, for me to not do an interview with ESPN, for me to not um, respond to every single message that I get is selfish. If I get millions of messages someday, I just, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get to all of them. But like, you know, it's still manageable where if I take an hour or two a week and do that, that's what I owe to the generation behind me. And if I didn't do that, it'd be selfish of me because I know that I've been given gifts like my parents. My parents were a gift, early mentors, a gift. These opportunities that I've received are not mine. These opportunities that I've received are those of the women that came before me. The women that, for the women, all the women that applied for jobs before me and didn't get them because of their gender. And I got the opportunity because the right person was there. The right person received my resume. The right people were in charge with the Cardinals. That wasn't me. The opportunity was given to me, and it's my job to pass that on and figure out how to get more opportunities for other women behind me. And I love that I have that honor. That was a fantastic answer. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like want to go do all these things now. Um, <laughs> I was so I was so grateful that you responded to me. Even I, I had uh, come up with the idea for this podcast very recently and um i i have been following your story for for a little while i love baseball i'm actually a diehard texas rangers fan sorry um (laughs) (laughs) i know my heart breaks every season but so i was like i was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna message her on instagram i cross my fingers that she responds so thank you for for coming on so if you if you could tell your 13-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I would probably tell myself not to wear the Blink-182 wrist sweatband because it was not a good time for me. But <laughs> what what would you tell your 13-year-old self? Okay, everyone pause. I'm going to go to my Instagram because I actually have a 13-year-old thing on there. everyone can wait just take a little break and a moment i wrote this i wrote this when i was uh okay i wrote this when i was in high school so we'll say all right a a little older than 13 okay the question was i posted this on my instagram the question was do you feel like you're going 
goals are practical or do they seem unrealistic? And my answer in high school was, I think my goals in life are practical for several reasons. I have an incredible amount of focus and I'm stubborn enough that even if a goal may seem unattainable, I'll pursue it until I'm completely shut down. I'll put everything I have into making something happen so that if I don't accomplish something, I know I've done everything in my power to make it happen. So are my goals unrealistic? Who cares? I'll have to find that out on my own. It all depends on how hard I work to make my goal an achievement. So it sounds so, like your 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 young self was already on the on the train. <laughs> so if I was to talk to my young self, I would just say what I kind of said already. And, I, and you already saw like, God, I, I just got the chills thinking about like, how did I know to write that? You know, there are so many young girls and guys, but I'll just focus, you know, there's so many young women who start out with a foundation of a lack of confidence when they're young. So then how in the hell, when things get tough, when you are getting discriminated against or things get tough in college or you can't get a job or you're broke or you're whatever, how in the hell are you supposed to get through something if you're standing on a, a foundation that isn't like that? And so what I would tell myself, like, I, I, I just read that to you. That's how I was in high school. What I would tell myself is there have been points where I've doubted that feeling, where I've doubted that belief. And I would just tell myself like, hey, never lose that. And anytime you feel like someone's telling you you can't do something, go back and read what you wrote and stick to that belief. And I'm so glad I did stick to that belief. And that's why I said like, I feel it's my honor and my duty in life to like give that feeling of confidence to other young women so that when they do hit the brick wall, whether that's discrimination or whatever, like you're gonna, if you're doing something different, you're going to find the brick wall. You are. Mm -hmm. If you're doing anything different, you don't have to be the first woman hitting coach professional baseball. Whatever you're doing, you're going to find the brick wall. And when you find it, figure out how to climb that motherfucker. You know, don't just yeah. say the brick wall, I can't get past it. Like there is a way to get up and over that thing or there's a way to walk around it that's even easier that you haven't even thought about. Like that's, that was my 13 year old self. And I would just say like, God, do not listen because people are going to try to rip that belief from you so hard and you're going to have to fight them off. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like we've covered our bases, pun intended. Um, so I am going to ask uh, every guest on the show, the same two last questions. The first one what is your second favorite color? My second favorite <laughs> color? Yeah. Purple. Purple. All right. And what, in your opinion, is the best part of being a woman? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. What's the best part of being a woman? Um, for me personally, the way that I live my life is uh, being able to be a chameleon and being able to fully express a full spectrum of who I am as far as like I can be a super tomboy, uh, no makeup, wearing a baseball uniform. And that same night I could put on a pair of stilettos and fucking shine at the at the bar and be this beautiful, feminine, voluptuous human and um, I get to do that. And I, I think that's, I'll, I'll just say specifically, 
me. That's the best part of how I get to express being a woman and femininity. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because there's parts of the world where you can't do that. Um, mm. And just until a few years ago, you couldn't even put on a baseball uniform to be a coach. So I'm grateful that I get to basically do what I, I want. And I know that I do not take that for granted. And I know that some women don't have that opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think that's the best part of being able to live how I live as a woman. Yeah. Amazing. You all can follow Rachel on Instagram and see her insane strength, both in spirit and in flesh. Uh, what is your handle? I'll also write it in the notes. It's Rachel.Balkovec. Or, I mean, you can, I mean, I have a weird last name. So if you can spell Balkovec, you can find me pretty much anywhere. <laughs> all right. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You're You've been a blast. You're kicking so much ass. <laughs> such a joy to talk to. So I I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to have a conversation with me and with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, you know, taking the time to record these and put out information about women who are out there um, doing amazing things. And I can't wait to listen. To all you beautiful people listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe, be healthy, and show the world what you're made of. <laughs>